I'd like to welcome everybody to American Midwife in Mexico. This is Katia Laman. Welcome, welcome. Um, I have a special guest this uh, podcast, my dear friend and midwife, uh, compañera <laughs> from Michigan. This is Mel Belly. Mel, welcome. Hi, everybody. Thanks for having me. Uh, we're going to uh, talk a little bit about... Uh, some of the things that just happened here in Quatemoc and uh, had quite a week while you were here. It was. It was kind of a whirlwind, wasn't it? Yeah. I think we talked on the phone last Wednesday, right? A week ago, Wednesday. Uh-huh. Yeah. And uh, you expressed that you suspected it might be a bit of a busy week and also that your backup doctor was going out of town, right? So um, I bought myself a plane ticket the same day and was down here two days later and I'm sure glad I came. I think you probably feel the same way. Yeah. We we had a, several bursts that kind of bunched up because um, several people went late and a couple people went early, and we ended up at... Uh, Let's see. Over the course of the... Six days. Six days. You guys had a total of eight births, yep. right? Yep. It was <laughs> the, a record for me, for sure. Mm-hmm. <laughs> and you too, right? Yeah. I think since yeah. my training, at least, yeah. Um, well, why don't you just start about how the week went for you? Okay, what... sure. Yeah, well, you had a couple of births before I arrived, right? We mm-hmm. talked Wednesday. Uh, you had a birth on Thursday. You had a birth on Friday. Mm-hmm. Um, that one was hard because I was sitting in the El Paso airport while your personal assistant was stuck at the Mexican border um, and... It was so hard to not be there already. It was so close, but so far away. Mm-hmm. Um, and then as soon as I walked in the door on Friday, before I had even gotten a chance to set my things down, um, we got another phone call. Yeah. And it didn't stop. And it did not <laughs> stop. <laughs> it was nice, though, because it was all spaced out. We had a chance to rest in between, mm-hmm. to kind of regroup. Even when we had a couple of hard things happen, we were able to, like... It was a bit paced, yeah, even though it was busy. And no two women delivered simultaneously, Uh which is part of the reason that I came, is that um, you've got some really skilled apprentice midwives, but they're just not ready to be unsupervised yet. Right, right, right. Yeah, so I I can't thank you enough for coming. Oh, you're welcome, welcome. Thanks for having (laughs) me. Yeah, I've actually been able to come down about every twice a year for the last two and a half or so years, and um, usually two weeks at a time, but... Um, it's been really incredible to see this practice grow mm. um, from the time that I first came down when you were just starting to you just figure opened out up the, birth center, the community. Right? Yeah, yeah. yeah. Mm. And now, oh my gosh, the the progress. Like, yeah. The... Well, I had been here a year before we opened up the birth center, mm-hmm. off and on, but I had been here more here in Mexico than I had been in the states. The year before, I was more in the States than I was here. And then in 2016, we opened up the birth center. So So let's look at some of the statistics for this last week. We had eight vaginal births. Awesome. Four boys, four girls. I thought that was interesting. Um, We had three VBECs, three vaginal births after cesarean. One was a 
had um, one cesarean before, one had two cesareans before, and one had five cesareans before. Um, there are locations of where they birthed. We had four hospital births. Um, hospital births meaning that we had, um, we have a hospital birth room, and so they delivered at the um, at the birth center, in the birth center exactly. The well, and that was the other thing about <clears throat> this volume was just that if they had all been delivering in the same location, it wouldn't have been as big of an issue. But because they were potentially delivering in all the different locations, that was another reason why. Right. <laughs> you can't be in more than one place at one time. I, I've tried. It doesn't <laughs> I work. I know. I know. <laughs> so we had four at the <clears throat> hospital birth room at what we call Angelitos. We had two births at home. We had one um, at the birth center at Casa Gilbert, and we had one car birth. Oh, that was fun. That, that was a fun <laughs> one, too. That was, that was your introduction That was here. my introduction here, yeah, yeah. sure. And then water birth-wise, we had five women who labored in water and three who ultimately delivered in water. Um, one of the ones who labored in water, we'll talk about that. Well, maybe we won't talk, but <clears> she... she she birthed above water. She stood up. <laughs> she, she, she was a standing birth. Mm -hmm. And so we had one standing in water. We had one who birthed hands and knees. We had one who birthed on a couch. Uh, we had the car birth. We had one who squatted. And we had the three water That's births. That's so fabulous. So no lithotomy-type positions with a woman on her back, with her legs up in the air. All positions that the women chose for themselves. Yeah. Which yeah. is... One of my kind of hills to die on. Yeah, exactly. <clears throat> um, and the other thing that was interesting, you know, we've been doing births at Angelitos at the hospital birth room for over uh, over a year now, mm -hmm. um, and we've done probably about twenty five births there. And the rule is, no doctor or nurse is allowed in the room unless we need them, unless we ask them to come in. Um, and usually the doctors come in because they're trying to assess whether or not, or we're all trying to assess whether or not we're looking at a cesarean. Um, and this last week, uh, one of the doctors came in because he wanted to assess if it was a cesarean because we had gone uh, 35 hours post-rupture of membranes, monitoring mom very carefully, uh, making sure everything was good with her, um, and uh, so the doc was coming in basically to say, we need to look at this, and I met him at the door saying, just give us a little more time, she's progressing, it's just slow, she's pushing, you know, kind of thing, and I said, you just check her and see if you feel like she's progressing, then let's talk about giving her just a little more time, right? Meantime, she's on the <clears throat> toilet pushing this baby out. Nice. And, um, you know, we, we went, she was on the toilet, and he looked, I remember him saying, to me, pointing at the uh, the midwife who was catching the baby, says, I would never get in that position. And I said, oh, you haven't seen anything yet, you know. So he's, uh, I, I said, look, and you could see part of the head coming out. And so he said, oh, this baby's going to be born, no problem. So he canceled his appointment. I told him, do you want to do stay? stay? And so he said, yeah, he'd like to stay to see the birth. He'd never seen a birth with us. And so I asked the mom, are you okay with, the doc staying and she said sure not a problem so he canceled his appointment and he just was like in the background watching and he didn't make any comments like do you think you should or 
uh, why don't we, or he did nothing, excellent, nothing. Excellent. He just kept his mouth shut. <clears throat> and, um, I, you know, I was watching this head and I'm like, oh, this is a shoulder dystocia waiting to happen. Even though she was upright, I, the head was just coming too slow. So we always set up another station in case the head, the shoulders get stuck. And, um, so we had this firm couch, no arms on it. And uh -huh. uh, remember in the yeah, living room Yeah, it's kind of area? a vinyl sort of, right. so easy to wipe down as well. Yes, thank you. <laughs> so we put a towel down there, and I told the other parents, if we have a shoulder dystocia, we're doing it here, not on, not on the bathroom floor or in the bathroom. Mm -hmm. It's a pretty spacious bathroom, but still, it's just not that good, <laughs> right? So, of course, you know, there was a shoulder dystocia. I said, all right, everybody up. And, oh, that was when you invented what I believe Katia has been doing midwifery long enough now that she deserves her own maneuver. So in the process of walking the woman from the toilet to the couch, which is like six feet away, you dislodged the shoulder by just having her do this little waddle walk, which we are now going to call the Lamon maneuver. <laughs> which every midwife has already knows about and has already done. Yes. So, I mean, it's just, but nobody thinks about if someone's on the bed with a shoulder dystocia, getting them up waddling them around and getting them back in the bed. So how much more disruptive is that than flipping them on hands and knees? It's just Not, another yeah. way. And it was, you said, 10 to 15 seconds. Not even. Yeah. I mean, it was fast. Yeah. Um, I, I one of the things the doc said later, the only thing, the only time he was scared during the whole process was when I told him to get out of the way. <laughs> get out of my way, you know. And for good reason. <laughs> yeah, right. And you didn't have to right. resuscitate that right. baby. Right, And that was fun, too, because, uh, fun, I mean, resuscitation serious, but the baby wasn't in that much distress. We were able to get it to come back right away. And But the but fun part of it was that the doc hadn't resuscitated a baby in years because at the hospital, he delivers, he's responsible for mom, he passes off the baby, and the pediatrician and nurses do the resus resuscitation and he doesn't do mm -hmm. any of that mm -hmm. so he was so he was excited oh yeah to participate yeah. in that way and, too oh, he kept saying this was so interesting this was so interesting i wasn't quite sure if that was a good thing or not <laughs> but, but very different from the way that they do things in their birth rooms. in their world yeah. yeah and he was ever so grateful to be able to be there and to watch what we do and i think it was invaluable mel because we tell them what we do, but for him to actually see we were ready for the emergency, everybody knew their their part. They gave it over to him, you know, to do the resuscitation because, you know, he was ready to do it. Um, we had all, you know, he he knows that we know what to do. That's That yeah. was what was it good about it. probably definitely built his confidence in, in supporting would, you. Right, mm -hmm. right. And he's one of the best backup doctors I've ever worked yeah. with. And that's the life. one that went out of town the next day, so. Yeah, yeah. so, but, you know, <laughs> yeah. it is what it is. Yeah. Um, and then there was another birth that I was at that another doctor observed. So I've never been in this situation in my uh, 20 years of attending births in different settings where the doctor is present but just observing, mm -hmm. sitting on their hands. Mm -hmm. And that was really neat that he, it was also his first water birth that he yeah. had ever seen. Yeah. He was beaming. He, he was. just sat he was... there smiling. And, yeah. I, and he was, I, he was, first he was standing. I said, no, no, you don't stand over the birth, you know? And I sat him down in a chair and he, but he was so happy. Uh, but we've had a long history that we have a doctor, the doctor who originally encouraged me to come down He's gone to several births with me, and we just set him on a chair outside the, the like at the birth center. We'd set him in a chair outside the door, mm -hmm. so he was there if we needed something. 
and he documented. So the doc docked, you know. That's he, really <laughs> incredible. So yeah. we've had a history of working with them, but this is the first time we've had them come in from the outside who are obstetricians and, you know, who did births in town and were, you know, they're there for a different capacity than the other doc was. So, yeah, it's it's been really amazing because in the States, I've never had that kind of relationship yeah. with any yeah. any of them. They, yeah. no, it, different worlds completely. Yeah, well, and I've been really, really impressed with all of the relationships that you've been able to build over the last three years. And I almost feel like this week was kind of a culmination of that hard work of getting to know those people and showing up. I, I felt like what you said, okay, we're going to do um, a, a theater play for Mel, and we're going to show her <laughs> all the different ways we've been connected over the last three years. It really worked its it, way out there. It was amazing, and you kept on saying, so how do you know them? Oh, we've been working with them for two years. Well, what about them? Oh, three years. Oh, you yeah. know. So it, the thing about these relationships, it takes time. It's not something you plop yourself down in a new location and everything magically starts working. And especially when you are culturally different than the community in which yeah. you're working, it takes time to yeah. figure out how to navigate that right. as well. Right. The advantage I had was that I was invited by the community as opposed to coming in to try and save the day. That I don't like that mm -hmm. attitude, and I have no intention of being that person. Mm -hmm. But the doc told me I was needed, and then more importantly, the women were the ones who pulled me down saying at least give a class and then I'd give a class and then you know 50 people would show up and I was like yeah. oh this is different and and they kept saying you need to come and help us you need we need help we need help and every step of the way being here I got pushed through another door mm -hmm. not just walk through pushed through another door and it it's just laid out like clockwork and so well, we, what was your saying service service is the magnet that attracts divine confirmations and every time you put for a service you get confirmed that that's what you're doing the right thing if you're in the right place mm -hmm. and that definitely this um, week was a definite divine confirmation one yeah. right after the other yeah and it i mean everything from the pacing of it to all the people who came out of the woodwork to help when there were, were issues yeah. um we had a pretty hairy birth on the yeah. weekend um, i think that it wasn't our birth yeah, that was probably the best example of how all of these relationships really ultimately saved a woman's life. Right. So this is a group of midwives um, that run a practice about an hour away from town, hour and a half from town, about 45 minutes from me. And uh, three years ago, I approached them, and I, I, I knew they were very strict about how they... Um, dealt with interventions, like they didn't do resuscitation, didn't carry meds, didn't... Um, and they know. essentially believe that uh, doing those things above and beyond would show a lack of faith. Right. So they choose to pray and to, to express their faith in those moments. And they don't go to docs. Mm -hmm. They don't have anything to do with doctors. So I approached them and said, if you ever need any help, I... I we, I went over to one of the ladies' house. We sat down and had tea. Very, very gracious, wonderful lady. She's she's the best documenter I've ever seen. She writes so neat, um, and and you know she, we talked about what kind of a practice they had, and there was a midwife from the states, a Mennonite woman who had been helping them, 
uh, years before. They'd gone to some classes, and um, I said, well, if you want to join our midwifery classes, you're welcome to. Um, if you need my help, you know, just give me a holler. I'm not that far away. If you run into any issues, just give me a holler. And it was thank you, but no thank you. Um, very gracious, very, very lovely. Mm -hmm. But it, I was clear that I wasn't supposed to be a part of that, mm -hmm. which I was fine with. Mm -hmm. And then uh, about a year and a half ago, the state of Chihuahua had a training, and I specifically went after them, and I said, you need to come to this training. Well, we've gone to their training. I said, it's not about the training. It's about showing up and being in their face so they don't forget mm. who you are. Yeah. And for me, that's my mantra here, you know, it's show up. Yes, you make know? yourself known. <clears throat> because if you don't show up, they don't know about you, and then, you know, they either get upset when they find out about you or, you know, mm -hmm. whatever. Yep. And then they joined your Earthwise Doula program, right? right. Which I suppose we should plug real quick. <laughs> Go for it. So um, we have a, an online program to train doulas, not only in how to rub a woman's back, but in how to work in austere situations and deal with emergencies. And um, you can find that through uh, Herbal Medic University online. Your Herbal, Herbal Medic, Medic Academy, Academy now. Right. I don't know if they've right. changed the Yeah, they have handle. Okay. Yeah. Um, so mm. Earthwise Doula was created specifically for the women here in, in Quatemoc and really specifically for the Mennonite women, um, because of the situations with the hospital here, everything, every issue from how to deal with the docs to get in to them, or working at the regional hospital, helping women who have nothing. At the regional hospital, they have, they don't even have pillows for them when they are in recovery. So learning how to deal with that, learning how to deal with some pretty crazy um situations at birth in the mm -hmm. regional mm -hmm. um that was that that's been a wonderful ex, you know experience yeah. working with the different doulas and now several of those doulas mm -hmm. are in business for themselves here yep. in town and uh moving towards working with um other communities like yep. the the community in Quatemoc outside of the Mennonite community which is the goal but i you know that's long term so this this program isn't specifically targeting American women who want to become doulas to work at the hospital. This is more about working with the women mm -hmm. here, but it's a good program because we deal with, uh, we, we de it's a 10-week program, yeah. so it's not... We delve quite a bit deeper, so yeah. even for doulas who are already established and practicing, this would expand their knowledge base and give them some more... Uh, skills as well. Right. <clears throat> so then they joined the midwifery school after right. that. So right. they finally were convinced that, okay, this is, you know, good knowledge and we do want to expand. And so now they're part of your midwifery, yeah. your second year of midwif midwifery students, second, right? Second generation. Yeah. Um, and the three ladies from that community, and we have um, five others. Mm -hmm. Two of them are Raramuri. Um, that's Which pretty, is a uh, indigenous peoples here from the mountains. Tauramata is what some folks call them. Um, and so I really feel like if we hadn't put out the effort to reach them, they would never have called us when they ran into trouble this last weekend. Mm -hmm. So they called us in the af late evening. Uh, Mom had delivered in the afternoon, and they hadn't gotten a placenta out yet. 
And so they called us for help. And we were, when they told us what was happening, we were on the road and we just kept traveling towards their place because we were pretty sure this woman probably had concealed bleeding. And sure enough, she did. Mm-hmm. I'll let I'll turn it over to you. On sure, that, yeah. From that um, and I won't go into a lot of gory details because I know that there are probably other people listening here that aren't midwives. Um, but we um, determined that yep, she had some uh, internal some bleeding that was going on inside of her uterus, um, and I had to manually remove the placenta, um, which also um, yeah revealed that. A lot of blood. You described um, it as a river. A river of blood around my arm. Um, yeah, scary. It was. It was um, hour and a half out from the hospital. <clears throat> yeah, and it, it had been three and a half to four hours since uh, the baby was born, so that the placenta before the placenta was delivered. So um, lesson learned: always bring your birth bag with you, no matter what happens. Yeah. I did not have my <clears throat> birth bag with and me. And when all was said and done, we determined she probably lost at least two liters of blood. Yeah. So um, we were able to act very quickly. Um, we asked the women what kind of anti-hemorrhagic medications they had, and of course they did not have any. And so we very quickly got our apprentice to come and deliver ours. Um, and they, in the meanwhile, gave her some herbs to help to at least try to slow the bleeding. Um, and so this is, just so, let me tell you, yeah, this sure. podcast is not about midwifery, but also about herbal adventures as well. So at first they wanted to give her a uh, shepherd's purse. I said, not appropriate. And for those of you who are interested in herbs, shepherd's purse can sometimes clamp down the cervix, which would have made Mel's job harder to get into the uterus. And then they said, well, we have some cotton root bark. I said, perfect. We double dosed her with cotton root bark while we were waiting for the pharmaceutical meds. Mm-hmm. And um, I believe very shortly thereafter, um, we decided to call the Red Cross to give her an IV, which that was neat to see that the, you have such a great relationship with the Red Cross that they would come in and give her an IV and allow her to still stay at home, not yes. not uh, insist that she be taken to the hospital. Well, I, Red Cross is pretty amazing. We They don't have, like, ambulance services like they do in the States. They do, but not out here in the Campo. I think a couple have moved in, but it's always been Red Cross who, mm-hmm. who transports people to the hospital. Um, and I sort of have a in with them because one of our students works as an EMT. Yeah, one of the midwife students one of the midwife apprentice students. And so she's, you know, sort of introduced me to them. And then uh, we've done trainings, um, emergency birth trainings with them. And we've done... The neonatal resuscitation Right, we did a review of neonatal resuscitation. And they've come... One time we had a a woman who um, was showing some problems, and I asked them... We, we always notify them. They're our backup also. Mm-hmm. We notify them for every birth, and they put on a team of women on call to be able to transfer to the hospital. And specifically service. women. Always women. That's yeah. really incredible. They, they, you know, it's like the birth center needs a team. They send out, you know, the message that those women are on call so that they're ready to go uh-huh. at a moment's notice. Because that is something that's important for this community. Yeah. Yeah. Big, big, very, I mean, and that's even, you know, I live in a community that's very mixed. We've got lots of very, very traditional people and very modern people, but they all want women to attend them. They they don't feel comfortable with men very often. Um, but, so they've been, they've been to, bent over backwards to help us numerous, numerous times. 
And so when we called them, we said, um, you know, even when, when they called us, do you remember? They said, Katia, um, she doesn't want us to look at her tear. You know, mm -hmm. we're going to have to look at her. He says, but don't make, you know, she has a tear. She has no intention of being sutured. So don't be shocked if you see this oh, tear. Yeah, remember when the women that? called us, sure. Right, and mm -hmm. so... That was really important to her that she didn't, you know, that no one. They weren't with intervening her. in that way, right? They were there to start the IV, start the IV. and that was it. That was yeah. it. They came in, did the <clears> IV, <throat> asked if there's anything else, and then that. But you had to get permission. Yeah, that was very interesting because the <laughs> shortly before that, the pastor came, uh -huh. and I've never been in a situation where he was part of decision the decision making, and so I asked his permission directly if it was okay if we called the ambulance to just come and start an IV on her and he gave his consent and um, as well the consent to give her medications which yeah. is Huge. very rare for them. Huge. Yeah. So we were able to give her some anti-hemorrhagic medications, some antibiotics to uh -huh. keep her from getting infected because I did have to do pretty invasive um, manual removal and um, in her tear as well. And so um, that was really interesting to me also that he was, even though he's not a medical personnel, um, he's an important authority uh, mm -hmm. in their church, and it, he was part of the decision-making process. So those of you who are midwives, you're real aware of this, but we, you know, it's all about informed consent, making sure um, moms know what their pros and cons are. But usually an emergency, we've, we've talked it over. If there's an emergency, we're just, you know, we always say, is it okay if I give you a pit as we're, you know, punching them with, you know, Pitocin with giving them an injection. But we couldn't do it that way. This, this, we would have been kicked out of the building if we had just sort of taken over. Mm -hmm. So every step of the way, we had to do informed consent at a very high level, shared decision-making at a very high level to make sure mom was okay with it. The Dad father, was okay with it, that the midwives were okay with it, that the pastor was okay mm -hmm. with it. And it was like, oh my God, she's going to die yeah, while, we're, while we're having while shared we're decision. Yeah, right? and we're managing an emergency. Right. So that was one of the hardest things I think I've gone through in a long time, that was being just, just dialing it down enough and saying, you know, they're ready for whatever God's will is. And... You know, once again, we think we know better, and we have to step back and say we don't always know what's better. Mm -hmm. That the for them, this is a, a thing of faith, mm -hmm. and so um, thankfully they had enough faith in us. Oh yeah, and <clears> they <throat> boy, I tell you, they prayed the paint off a barn door when you were oh, working. Oh wow, boy. it was powerful. It really was. Yeah, that was that was very that very was cool. really neat. So through your relationships, we were able to actually get this woman a lot more help than she may have otherwise gotten. Um, yeah. Even after we got her the medications and the IV, she was still very weak, and we started discussing the option of uh, getting her a blood transfusion. And it took quite a bit of time to for them to wrap their mind around that and discuss it and decide that that was, in fact, an option that they might explore. Well, and part of it was that this woman was a victim of uh, obstetrical violence in the past, and she was adamant about no doctors. And so I got on the horn, got, talked to Dr. Stafford, who's my sponsor here in Mexico and why Helping I you to get your residency. Yeah, yeah, exactly. And I said, okay, this is a situation... And we're going to try and talk them into a blood transfusion, but you got to be 
work on your side. You got to find a doctor who is what we say in Spanish, muy amable, very amicable, humble. Mm -hmm. uh, you know, somebody who's Compassionate, who's, right, who's willing to listen, mm -hmm. not just charge yes, in. Also believes not, in informed consent. Not going to touch her vagina. That the midwives would be in charge of the uterus and the bleeding, and all they would be doing is blood pressure, pulse, and what they have to do for the transfusion. And I said, I don't know if we can work it out, but if we can't, they will not come in. Mm -hmm. I can almost guarantee it. Mm -hmm. so, so, so we worked on the family, he worked on the other, and we had a doc in mind, the one that had come to the water birth, but he was in Chihuahua, and um, another set of divine confirmation, um, another doctor kind of dropped the ball with us, so we had to go find somebody to do birth certificates on one of these multiple births, and we found this doctor who, you know, calls central casting. We need a nice doctor. <laughs> and lo and behold, he there appeared. There he was. You know, and you had never met him before. I never met him before. And he was phenomenal. Yeah. He was so compassionate and yeah, yeah, he was humble. Perfect. His sense, every, you know, yep. when, when she came into the hospital by ambulance, Red Cross, by a female attendant who had attended my class, so she knew me. She was all excited about seeing me again. Um, the perfect person to transport her. The midwife from the community was behind the ambulance. She lost him, and she called me. She said, uh, I'm not going to make it before she gets to the hospital. Are you anywhere near there? And I said, I'm waiting at the ambulance door with Dr. Stafford and with the head of the hospital, um, a female, and um, she was fabulous. She's another one. That was oh, fabulous. she was phenomenal. Yeah. She made sure that all of the hospital staff was well aware of what was going yeah. on. She made sure we only had one nurse that attended yeah. her. Yeah. Uh, that there wasn't a lot of yeah. different people going in and out. Um, she also made it possible to lower their the cost of the oh, whole hospital stay. That's incredible. actually that was Stafford yeah. who talked to her. Um, she she came to visit us at. We, when she came into power, so to speak, a couple months ago, we invited her out to the birth center so she could see what we do. She could see what we use as protocols. And we pulled out a chart and showed, with the permission of the client, I called ahead of time because she was, by medical con um, community, high risk by our standards, not. And I said, this is what we're doing. This is the doctor evaluation that we're doing. This is what we're going to do during labor. And we had our plan, we had our, her, they were real impressed that we had photos of her and pictures of her ID, you know, and that we had all this documentation. She leaned over to Stafford, she says, they've got better documentation than we do. And we were like, I've actually heard that several times since I've been here, oh, is yeah. that you guys document better than anybody else yeah. in this yeah. area, yeah. which we'll talk a little yeah. bit later about how that yeah. also helped us with yeah. the, another birth. Right. So Legaret, uh, the, the head of the hospital was there, Dr. Stafford was there, I was there, you were there. The, the, the EMT who knew us pulls her out of the ambulance she and her husband are so happy to see us. Mm -hmm. And then we escorted her into the room. And then later, the, the, the head of the hospital and Dr. Stafford asked permission to come in and talk mm -hmm. to her. And the doctor that was going to be and the managing. Doctor, right, right. Yep. So those three came in and <clears throat> told her that her rights would be preserved, that her decisions would be honored. Yeah, they would not they do would, anything without her without permission. Without permission, without her permission and the husband's permission, and thanking them for trusting them. 
yeah. for her care. It was so, I and wanted to cry. they followed through. Yeah. And even to the extent where when they thought that uh, it would be best to have her on a heart monitor, they asked permission. Yeah. yeah. For even a very minimally invasive, yeah. right. you know, intervention. Right. And culturally appropriate care. Yeah. Culturally appropriate care. And um, I just think it was amazing. And the fact that they come from two different cultures. So, you know, for all of you to understand that this is a community of three cultures, that we have the indigenous, the Raromari, we have the Mexican Hispanic nationals, and then we have a very large Mennonite population. And all three cultures have very different ways of living. And so for them to interact in a way that is respectful um, yeah, just was really, really reassuring to me. Yeah, it, it was it was amazing that it actually worked out. So when she came into the hospital, she got for those of you who are midwives or know have medical background, they did a hemoglobin on her, a, a CBC, and her hemoglobin was four point seven. I almost, I, I had to support myself against the wall. When they told me, I was shocked. I knew she was gotten low, but yeah. I had no idea. I have never heard of anybody that's been that low and survived. alive. <laughs> yeah. And so they gave her three units of blood, and she went up to 7.4, and they discharged her the next day. And all of us have been doing rounds and checking on her. She's doing fine. The baby's doing well. Mm-hmm. Her hemoglobin yesterday was 9. Yes, that was very, just very wonderful. impressive. And yeah. that was... Oh, and that Five was another out. connection. Mm-hmm. So because she's still very weak and we didn't want her leaving the home, you had enough of a relationship with the lab that even yeah. though it's not their protocol, they allowed you to take the equipment and go to her house yeah, so they, that we could draw her blood. We do that all the time in the States. We draw blood and get turn it over to the lab, but that's not the way it's done here. Everybody's sent to the lab. The docs send people to the lab. Nobody draws their own blood here. And so I went in, I said, she is debilitated. We need to be able to go and get the blood there. And she says, oh, Katia, let me just call my supervisor, make sure. And supervisor knows me. She says, absolutely. Katia, don't worry about it. And then we got the EMT because we knew her veins were going to be mm-hmm. flat. Mm-hmm. And we got the EMT. Our midwifery student. Right. Because yeah. we knew she could get, you know, a vein in the middle of, pothole heaven and, <laughs> you know, and so it took her two tries but uh-huh. she she got it and then um we were so happy it was nine so we don't have to stick her again for 10 days so yep um so we'll be watching her but that was also another connection um we had another birth that um the mom got home she was discharged six hours postpartum they went home and they we always teach them the signs and symptoms of what doesn't look right and she called and said this doesn't look right baby wasn't nursing and um, was wide awake but wasn't nursing Mm -hmm. and was working hard at breathing we went over to see her and immediately transferred her to the hospital baby went under oxygen and observation and then something like 30 hours later had another episode and crashed and they had to resuscitate and ultimately it turned out that baby had polycythemia which is pretty interesting certainly wasn't a red bait you know red colored bait there was no indication at birth the respirations were great you know for six hours Mm -hmm. um so very interesting very interesting oh and that was another connection so the pediatrician (laughs) that you called in Uh was somebody that you had worked with prior as well oh yeah okay so listen to this so this guy uh, a couple of years ago, um, uh, we had a birth at the center and took them, they went home and 
there was some problems with the baby, and so I called up the pediatrician, and he said he'll be right over. He's a pe- he's not even a pediatrician. He's a neonatologist. Oh my gosh! So he says I'll be that right over. That would never happen <laughs> in the United States. I'll be right over. Right. Wow. So he shows up at their little trailer with his stethoscope, and he listens, and he says, "Yeah, I too don't know what's going on, but I think we need to evaluate further." And that was the beginning know, of that, that, that relationship. That, that Phenomenal. Relationship. Yeah. So he was, you know, very supportive and said, yes, you know, bring her right in. We'll evaluate. And, and he was okay with, um, because they didn't want to do formula. Mm-hmm. And the nurses were like, well, we have to start formula. And they, the parents said, refused. They said, no, we will only do breast milk. And they said, okay, so pump some breast milk. So she gets like five drops of colostrum out of her. You know, there's nothing, you know, we worked and worked with mm-hmm. a pump, expression, yeah. everything. I pulled, That's another thing. We have a group of, of our um, women who have trained as breastfeeding educators. They went through a six-week course with us um, to learn the basics on helping with breastfeeding. And so we called in one of those ladies to help her so that I could sort of set that up and then run around with the transfusion Con, you know, happening simultaneously. Right. And um, so it was obvious she wasn't going to get any milk. Meantime, I'm over at the transfusion lady, and she's saying, well, how's that baby? And I said, great, we're trying to to get some milk out, some pumps, pump some milk. And she says, you know, so they talk a little bit in Plattdeutsch, slow German, and then they turn to me and they hand me this this glass jar of about two ounces, three ounces of milk. And they said, well, this was donated for this baby, you know, just now, but my milk is in, so we don't, we don't need it. And I was like, how did that happen? Right. So, right? so I go back to the family and I said, how do you feel about this? Because in this community, breastfeeding has just been wiped out as a cultural thing. And it's we're that's one of our goals is yeah. to bring that back. So there, but they had been through all our classes and said, "Oh yeah, breast donated. Who is it? Okay, fine, great." And so we added that to the five drops and took it to the NICU and said, "Here's the breast milk." And my Spanish not being great, they said, "What's this?" And it interpreted as two-month-old breast milk. I said, "No, no, no. This breast milk is for a two-month-old that was donated to the lady in the transfusion who donated <laughs> it to the lady who who has the polycythemic baby." And they're like. Uh, okay. 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 <laughs> you know, and so the doc was all supportive about them doing breast milk. So a little while later, um, the mo- and then we put out the word. And you. Oh my goodness! Yeah. So I was in the meanwhile doing a postpartum of another birth, um, but heard that we needed some breast milk. So I just went down the list of everybody that's delivered in your practice since May, and by the end of a couple of hours, I had a list of a dozen women who were standing by ready and willing to donate breast milk. One came in with, I, I don't know how many Oh, bags. six full little bags. Ziploc bags full that she had already had in the freezer. Her yeah. her husband brought them over immediately. Yeah. And so we ran those up to the hospital and yeah. knew that we would have plenty for the next day or so. So meantime, before that, that delivery of that milk, I was in talking to the transfusion lady, and she was engorged, I mean, in, and in pain. I said, oh, well, we'll just need to express some milk. Because we, normally we'd stick them in the shower. We'd do all that stuff. But we didn't want her out of bed, you know. So I've never seen expression work so well. It was great. And then one of the, uh, the breastfeeding educators, who also was also one of those midwives, 
Um, she goes, this really works, Katia. This really works. <laughs> and, said, and you said it looked like, like melted butter with cream. Oh like it was so rich. And, so rich. It yeah. was amazing. And, you know, it was like, okay. we're good. So she, she was relieved because she was able to express some of that milk. Uh, went back to the family. I said, you know, she's, you know, got a hemo of I don't know what, but this probably has got a lot of what your baby needs. They're like, oh, it looks great. Take it, take it, take it. And then we got the other milk. So what came about about all of that after we discussed it with some of the women and some of the women who want to donate, they it was decided to start a milk bank out in the compost. So day before yesterday, we bought a... A deep freezer. A, a deep freezer, and um, it's, you know, now in place, and um, we're going to start the start of a, of a milk bank. So talked to Dr. Stafford, my sponsor, and I said, I want you to know what we're doing, um, but I want you to understand, I don't care if Mexico City gets upset about this, you cannot stop women helping women. Mm-hmm. And, it to you know, this is women who are rising up to help other women in their community. We just happen to own a freezer. We own a freezer, <laughs> exactly. And I said, we'll do our best to make sure anybody who's donated is tested, is tested for the right things, That you know, watching what, what are the protocols internationally for milk banks, and we'll do whatever we can. But And he says, time for the hospital step up, isn't it? And I said, yep. And he says, tell me what I need to do. And I said, I will find out what the requirements are. He says, I'll find out who I need to talk to to make it happen. Wonderful. So I was like, are you kidding me? So this is going <laughs> to hopefully become an official milk bank through the hospital. Yeah, yeah. I mean, it's not going to happen tomorrow, no, but, but I was like, oh my gosh. <laughs> yeah. And especially for this community. Yeah, yeah, that's, yeah. That's huge. But in the meantime, these ladies here are organizing. So, you know, and mm-hmm. I, I'm just so excited. Everybody was... We had a debriefing um, Wednesday of the eight births, and we were talking about everybody was so excited about that potential. And this is a, I know there's going to be people in this community who are going to be freaked out because there's a lot of people who don't like breastfeeding here. Mm-hmm. But there's enough who do that are going to be very excited about this. Yeah. So we'll run into some slack, but you know, always, whatever. Always bumps in the road, but that's all right. We keep on moving forward. So yeah, that was phenomenal because when I first came a couple of years ago, breastfeeding was so taboo. Yeah. Um, you know, and I, I think as a kind of overcompensation for the oversexualization of, of breasts in the Mexican culture, um, the Mennonite culture has decided that their women never need to expose their breasts even to feed their babies. Mm-hmm. Um, and we've, you've done a lot of work to change that. Yeah. I see so much difference just even in a couple of years. Well, I think the class helped because people, well, now people, you know, we had somebody call and I said, well, I'll get one of the breastfeeding educators to help me. And they're like, who's that? And so people are starting to talk, oh, we have a group of women who've been trained who can help when you have questions. Mm-hmm. Because so often here I hear the story, well, I tried to breastfeed, but I dried up. I didn't, I didn't have enough milk. Or you know, um, right? Or they were discouraged by their families, and so they didn't. That we can't have the support. That can we do much about? But we can support from the outside. But so often they're saying, "I didn't have enough milk," and it's because they don't understand about supply and demand, supply demand, and and um, uh, growth spurts and things like that, and and don't have someone saying, "It's okay, I'm Mm -hmm. here to help you," you know. Mm So it's exciting to see what that is. You know, our goals originally were to 
improve the breastfeeding rate to um, uh, improve the breastfeeding rate to lower the C-section rate, increase the increase the home birth rate and increase the VBAC rate. And I think we're doing that. I, I think really so. are. I, I think I, I'm not quite sure what our statistics are, but I know that this week helped our, our C-section rate go down. Yeah. So, um, we'll, you know, at some point I'll let you know officially what that is, but it, it's looking really good. We're it's doing amazing. a lot. Yeah. I think yeah. that we made advances towards all of those goals this week. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. Um, so, so we should probably wrap it up. This has yeah. become quite a long podcast. I, I promise so. they won't always be this long, but it was a pretty eventful week. I feel like this was a real watershed moment for the practice, and I really wanted to share with everybody what was happening. Um, so bef- uh, before we ha- sign up, I just want to tell me, I already know the answer to this, but what was the <laughs> highlight of your week, Mel? <laughs> um, so one of the... F- most exciting moments that we had was a mom who came to us at about six or seven centimeters and her uh, husband wanted to go home and, and gather all of their things and meet us at the hospital. So the the client rode with us to the hospital and uh, Katia put on her hazards and kind of slowed down at the red lights and it was late at night so there wasn't a lot of traffic but once we got into the town um, we passed a uh, police officer and he turned his lights on and instead of stopping Katia just yelled out the window that we were going to the hospital and a few blocks later he pulled up alongside of us and asked which hospital and then pulled in front of us turned his lights on and we got to do a police escort um, (laughs) high speed uh, through the little Mexican town, little hills and turns. And it was fun. It was so fun. I felt like I was in a movie. Oh, it was great. It was so funny. So Mel and I are in the front seat going, woohoo, this is fun. I turn around and look at the, the client in the back seat. You doing okay? Oh, yeah, I'm okay. <laughs> she was totally emotionless, just in you, labor. You know what she told me later? She said that, you know, when, when her husband was with her, she thought she was going to have to push. Uh-huh. When he left to, left her with us, everything stopped. Ah, and, and interesting. I said, and then as soon as he joined us back at the hospital, this started Then right it started right up again. And I hadn't noticed that because we were all excited about the police chase. But, I mean, no, that would have been if they were behind us. But <laughs> <laughs> the police escort. And I didn't even realize that. I thought she was still, she was still having contractions, but, but she wasn't pushy anymore. You know, yeah. so it's like... Very interesting. Women have a lot of power in labor. We never give them credit for it. Yeah. Know, so. so lots so, of fun moments this week. So my highlight. Okay. My favorite part of the whole week, well, at least my fun, most fun part, was uh, it was the last birth. It was the birth of the woman who was standing in the birth pool. She had gone back and forth trying to figure out where she wanted to birth. And we thought it was going to be on the bed. And then she said, no, I want to get back in the water. She got in the water and she said, I don't want to sit. So she's standing, hugging her husband and pulling, lifting her legs off the ground, hanging on her husband. I was like, oh my gosh, she's going to need a massage. And and I said, I got to get this on film. So I took a couple of pictures and then I, I put it on the video just at the last part where she was pushing. And, um, I, before that I said, Mel, you need to get a cloth because that baby's going to be slippery and I don't want it to be a post-water birth, you know, kind of thing. And so I'm watching this and I, I've got the video, I've got my little watch and I've got my, I'm also documenting all doing this all at the same time. So 
the, the heads out, say heads out, write the time. Chord, no chord, okay? So then they're, they're talking to each other, passing, and they pass the baby, and Mel falls into the, <laughs> the birth hole. I think that's the first time that's happened to me. And I did tell the parents earlier, well, that looks like fun. Maybe I'll come swimming later. Be careful so, what you wish for. You may go swimming. That's yeah. one of our mottos from this week. Yeah. So, um, Thank we just, you for that. Oh, that was great. And so then after everything, you know, we got her out of the pool. And I said, Mel, girlfriend, I hate to tell you this, but I did get it on film. And so when we did our review, I said, okay, let's, let's watch this last birth. And it, nobody was expecting that. It was great. It was good comic relief. Very good comic relief. Um, I think we need to do a video of midwife bloopers, you know. So <laughs> if any of you want to send in your blooper stories of things you really wish hadn't happened at a birth, let me know. So we can go through a list of midwife bloopers. I think that would be so much yeah, fun. that would be yeah. It was a fabulous week, Katia. Thank you so much for having me I here. I cannot thank you enough for coming. For the sanity aspect alone, but the the skills um, and the ability to work with a, an experienced midwife and a dear friend, I, you just made my week. It could have been a very, very hard, negatively hard week, and it was a very hard, great week because you were here. So thank, thank you, you so thank much. You. Look forward to your next time. Next time, we're hoping to go out to visit um, some communities like 16 hours away. So we'll see what happens with there. So thank you for joining us. This has been American Midwife in Mexico. uh, And uh, signing off, hope you all have a great time until the next time we see you. Thank you so much.